Our first reading this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter. And if you'd like to follow along, it's printed in the middle of your bulletin insert. It's the second one listed. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iteria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Cephas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
Good morning. Good morning. I bring you greetings from across the bridge, San Francisco Theological Seminary. Um, it just always, to borrow Elizabeth's words or to paraphrase her, makes my heart leap when um, Jeff says, names me as part of the diaspora of this community. Um, as you know, diaspora means dispersed or scattered, and it's part of our life of faith, being scattered and gathered and scattered and gathered. And I spend most of my life feeling scattered. <laughs> So it's good to be gathered with you here this morning. The scripture that Jenna read and that was so beautifully sung by the choir um, is Luke's formal introduction to John the Baptist. It sets the story of John the Baptist firmly in the history of the Roman Empire and occupied Judea and in the story of Jesus. And it's the one we know best. A voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. The valleys will be raised up and the mountains will be brought low. The text that I'm about to read, though, in, in a minute or so, um, is Luke's earlier first introduction of John the Baptist. It's the song sung at his birth by his father, Zechariah. Now, it's just as global in scope. It proclaims that God is raising up a savior and that this baby is bringing that good news. And it's a song sung by a parent with a tender touch, a song sung perhaps as only a parent can. 
And we're taking up this text in the midst of your Advent series, The Power of Looking. I love that, and I love the artwork that you've got for it. So I'm going to tell the story of Zechariah, and then I'll read the scripture, Zechariah's song, when we get to it. And then I want us to ask two questions of the text. What does Zechariah say? And what does Zechariah see? So here's the story of Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest in the temple. He and his wife Elizabeth are, scripture tells us, well along in years, and they're childless. One day, Zechariah is in the temple doing his priestly duties, preparing the space for worship, um, much like you do here, lighting candles or lamps, preparing the scripture, tending to the holy spaces. When an angel appears and says, Zechariah, fear not, your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth is going to have a son. This son will not only be your joy and delight, but he will bring the people back to God. He will go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, Zechariah takes a step back in the quiet of that place and he says, how can this be? We are old. And the angel replies, O Zechariah, it can be and it will be. I am Gabriel. I stand in God's presence and I've been sent to tell you this good news. But because you've not believed my words, you'll not be able to speak until all this comes to pass. And Zechariah goes silent. Elizabeth does conceive. And then for nine months, we hear nothing from Zechariah. Silence. As all the other Advent stories we know so well unfold, the angel comes to Mary, Elizabeth's cousin, and announces that Mary will bear the Christ. Mary runs to her cousin Elizabeth's, and Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb, and she calls out to Mary, Mother of my Lord. And Mary sings the Magnificat. My soul glorifies God. God is bringing down the powerful and lifting up the lowly. And then, nine months later, we circle back to Zechariah, silent for these nine months of pregnancy. And Elizabeth gives birth, a crowd gathers, and they're ready to name the baby after his father, because that's how it's done. But Elizabeth steps in and she says his name is John, because she's had a word from God as well. And she's a woman, so the crowd, of course, in this patriarchal world, looks to Zechariah, the man, and says, well. And Zechariah looks to Elizabeth, and he motions for a tablet, and he writes out, his name is John. And in that moment, Zechariah can speak. After nine months of silence, Zechariah can speak, and don't you know it, Zechariah has something to say. And what he says or sings is today's second scripture. Luke 1, verses 68 to 79. Blessed be the God of Israel, for God has looked favorably on the people and redeemed them. God has raised up a mighty Savior for us in the house of God's servant David, as spoken through the mouth of God's holy prophets from of old, that we would be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Thus, 
God has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and remembered the Holy Covenant, the oath that God swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness before God all our days. And you, my child, Zechariah sings, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare God's ways, to give knowledge of salvation to God's peoples by the forgiveness of their sin, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Now, it's not surprising that God, that Zechariah sings of salvation. God has done what God said God would do. This child born to this couple well along in years, away out of no way, the impossible possible here embodied in this baby. And in Zechariah's silence during these nine months, Elizabeth and Mary have already been singing salvation. Elizabeth has exclaimed that God has saved her from disgrace, and Mary has proclaimed God's saving power to bring down the powerful and to scatter the proud. Indeed, this is the song that God's people have been singing for centuries. Think of the Psalms. This is a people crushed and oppressed by empire after empire, century after century. And again and again, the people cry out, they sing for God to save them from every kind of hurt and harm, from violence, from oppression, from enemies, from fear, from ourselves. So it's not surprising that after nine months of silence and in the presence of this miraculous birth, Zechariah opens his mouth and sings. Maybe he shouts, God is raising up for us a savior, a savior who will save us from all our enemies. But then, but then Zechariah sings something that startles. In this song of salvation and power, Zechariah sings that God is doing this. God is saving us through God's tender mercy. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Salvation is coming, Zechariah sings, not in the power of mighty armies, but in the power of God's tender mercy. It is a tender mercy that will bring down every despot and lift up the downtrodden. It is tender mercy that will save us from everything that does us harm. That's not what I'd expect to find here. In their world of violence and oppression and power over and the brute force of empire, the powers will be brought down by tender mercy. That's what Zechariah says. And it makes me wonder if that's what Zechariah says, what has Zechariah seen? In these nine months of silence, as he's looked around in silence, what has he seen and heard and experienced that has led him to this particular exaltation, or in the words of the text, this particular prophecy, God is saving us 
by tender mercy. Because we know Zechariah's had some time to think. After the angel leaves him in that temple, unable to speak, Zechariah probably can't do most of what a temple priest does. And to be honest, he probably wasn't even welcomed in the temple and its holy places anymore because he would have been seen as incomplete and impure. So just imagine, Zechariah goes home to Elizabeth and at first he spends most of his days there. I think of how my grandmother used to joke that when my grandfather retired, what a blessing it was to have him at home all the time. <laughs> and while he's at home, Zechariah has time to watch Elizabeth, to really see her, maybe for the first time. He sees how early she gets up in the morning and how she works so hard all the way into the night. He sees that she's a respected leader in the community, that the women who live nearby come to her for advice and help this woman well along in years. He sees how the community of women work together so that each of their families will survive in a world of bare subsistence living, extra cooking for another family when one of them is sick, carrying water when someone is down in the back, weeping with each other in times of death and loss. Zechariah's there that day when Mary comes in a panic and she and Elizabeth huddle and talk in hushed tones and then sing in loud shouts something about God lifting up the lowly. In his silence, Zechariah listens. He listens to Elizabeth. Now he has to hear what she has to say. He gets to hear her wisdom, hear her chatter, hear what the world looks like to someone who is not a privileged male priest. And in the evenings they sit together, this couple well along in years expecting a child, they sit together as the twilight fades in the silence at the dimming of the day, his hand in hers. But Zechariah can't stay around the house all the time. So he wanders back to the temple, to the places he knows, or at least to the temple courts, and he sees what he used to just pass by. He sees those money changers in the temple courts exploiting the poor. He sees the people coming and going, the Pharisees and the priests and the teachers of the law in all their fancy clothes, saying their prayers loud and long, always taking the best seats. He sees them talking with the Roman soldiers, laughing it up, complicit in the power of empire. And over the course of days, Zechariah starts to notice things even more subtle. He sees, he sees this widow who comes every week and leaves her offering just two coins, but everything she has. He sees two old folks, Anna and Simeon, who have nowhere else to go, sitting around the temple every day, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And always at a distance, at a distance, he, 
he sees this woman standing at the fringes of the temple court, not allowed in because she suffers with a bleeding disease. She will suffer for years until that day when she can reach out and touch the hem of the garment of the one who will heal her hurt. And as the days go on, Zechariah starts to wander out a bit further, out into the streets, maybe even into the nearby villages. He sees the lepers at the city gate, a blind man begging. He sees folks not in their right mind, possessed by demons, as they'd say in Zechariah's day, desperately in need of calm and clarity. He sees these four boys who carry their friend everywhere on a mat because he cannot walk. They'll do this for years until one day they will lower him down through a roof with fervent healing hope. In his days of silence, Zechariah sees the world that Jesus will see. He sees the trouble and the hurt, the violence and the injustice and the kindness and the hope and the will to survive. So in that moment, in that moment after nine months of seeing but not speaking, when the crowd of men is shouting at Elizabeth to name this child after his father, Zechariah keeps his eyes on Elizabeth standing there steadfast and he remembers. He remembers God's saving love, faithful over the years, leading those in slavery out into freedom, finding those in exile and bringing them home. And Zechariah sees this child that they never thought they'd have, God's faithful, love, saving love again and again over time and right here, right now. And Zechariah writes, on the, Zechariah writes on that slate with a broad grin toward Elizabeth. His name is John. Maybe it's not all that surprising that Zechariah then opens his mouth and sings, God is raising up a savior for us by the tender mercy of our God, by the tender mercy of our God. The dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. Zechariah sings of tender mercy writ small. Those tender mercies we know in our bones. A mother's voice singing her child to sleep. A hand to hold in our deepest loss. A cool sip of water on a dry, dusty day. And Zechariah sings of tender mercy writ large. Zechariah explicitly connects salvation with tender mercy. God's liberating work and God's acts of tender mercy, one and the same. You see, you see the work we do to bring down systems of oppression we do so that everyone can live free in every moment of their ordinary lives. We do anti-racism work so that after a long day of working two jobs, a mother doesn't need to fear for her black son's life when he walks to the convenience store to get a Coke. We do the work of inclusion so that a trans youth somewhere, a trans youth everywhere are surrounded and embraced by a world that affirms their full dignity, where we stand between them and every type of violence that will do them harm. We work to end oppressive economic and political systems so that actual, real, specific people will not go to bed hungry tonight, 
so that they'll sleep in a place of shelter, so that they'll have meaningful opportunities so that they can build lives of dignity. Now, this is the place in the sermon where one of my preaching teachers and mentors, Reverend Dr. J. Alfred Smith Sr., would say it's time to offer up something to do. It's an essential part I learned from him of every sermon. Dr. Smith says that every sermon should offer up a tear, what's broken and hurting in the world, a smile, God's amazing love and grace, and something to do. And the something to do just feels so obvious here. Let's go do some tender mercy. Go join God's saving, loving work in the world. Embody good news to the poor. Bind up the brokenhearted. Work for the release of every captive, for the full freedom of all who are oppressed. What does God require of us to do justice, to love kindness, to love tender mercy, and walk humbly with God and with each other? You know, it occurs to me, That when we're gone from the earth, when we're gone from this place, the thing that will matter most are those tender mercies that we've done while we're here. We have something to do. Tender mercy. And, and it feels to me in these days, with the scripture and its promise of tender mercy, that one more word is needed. And it's this. Maybe you walked in here this morning in need of tender mercy. Maybe there is some part of you that is hurting or grieving or just plain bewildered. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. This promise of God's saving love, this promise of tender mercy, it is a promise for you. God has loved you from the moment of creation. Throughout all time, God has loved God's people and accompanied them, accompanied us through every minute of every day. And when things were worst, God came to us in Jesus Christ and God comes to us in Jesus Christ and God walks with us and God talks with us, extends to us a healing touch, a strong shoulder, Inviting us and empowering us to live the lives of tender mercy that we were created to live in all our fullness. Zechariah sees the world that Jesus sees. All its trouble and all its hurt. All its kindness and all its hope. And the song that Zechariah sings It's a song for you, and a song for me, and a song for all people in all time. God is raising up a Savior. By the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. May it be so for you and for me and for the whole world.